Open your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 11. Nehemiah chapter 11. And tonight's message is the city of God. The city of God. The Bible teaches us that God made the first garden. But it was rebellious man who built the first city. Cain, uh, who named the city after his son Enoch. And the two, that is God and a rebellious man, have been battling ever since. In the ancient world, cities were places of wealth and power. But today, in spite of their magnificence, too often our cities cry out for lack of funds. They don't have money to do the things needed. They're polluted. They're famous for pollution, for poverty and crime. All we have to do is look at our own state today. 60,000 homeless in California, 36,000 in L.A. alone. The streets are filled with tents, debris, drug users, mental illness, bottles of urine and feces. I was listening to a report today. L.A. hires a, a, a special company to come and to collect the feces. They pay $1.92 million a year to do this. It's so hard to imagine that we would hear of this kind of stuff in today's day and age. Now, there are legitimate needs of people. But when you hear these folks that are interviewed, they don't want to live by rules and regulations. They don't want people to help them. They want to live a lawless life. And over the years, we've allowed bleeding hearts and lawlessness prevail. And little by little, this is where we are today. How to finance and manage the great cities is a frustrating problem to government, to the leaders around the world. John F. Kennedy said this, We will neglect our cities to our peril, for in neglecting them, we neglect the nation. Nehemiah followed JFK's philosophy. Of course, it was God's philosophy, so, you know, he knew it before JFK. But Nehemiah knew that the nation of Israel could never be strong as long as Jerusalem was weak. But Jerusalem couldn't be strong unless the people, unless the people who, are, who make up the city were willing to sacrifice. Who, that were willing to do what needed to be done. So Nehemiah calls on the people to offer three sacrifices to the Lord for the good of their city. And there are sacrifices that God still calls his people to make for the good of the church that he's building in this world. In chapter 7, we learn that Nehemiah was concerned about the small population of Israel, of Jerusalem. And he had started to do something about it to increase it. But before he got very far, he was kind of put on hold or he was interrupted by a month of spiritual revival celebrations. And we covered these spiritual celebrations in chapters 8 through 10. And when they were finished, that is these celebrations, Nehemiah was able to continue again with the business of repopulating Jerusalem. The month of interruption in Nehemiah, in his work that is, wasn't bad timing. It wasn't a stroke of bad luck. 
It wasn't a waste of time for him or the work. This time, when things were put on hold for spiritual things, would help to prepare the people's hearts for the work that needed to be done to repopulate Jerusalem. And because repopulating Jerusalem was going to take a lot of sacrifice by a lot of people, a spiritual revival would help to make the people more willing to make the sacrifice to increase the population of Jerusalem. You see, their hearts had to be made ready spiritually to do this. So this spiritual revival is what what prepared their hearts. Spiritual revival never gets in the way of any good work. Jerusalem's population needed to be increased for several reasons, but two of them are mentioned here in the beginning of our chapter. And they are, more people mean a better watch for the city and a better witness for the Lord. First of all, Jerusalem needed a better watch for the city. You see, with the walls now completed, Jerusalem was now like a fortress. It was like a fort. But a fort needs to have a lot of guards to watch out for the enemy. And because Jerusalem was the capital of Judah and it was now protected with these walls, it was the greatest threat of any Jew, to any Jewish city to take the prestige away from the important cities of the heathen in the lesser important areas around them. You see, this made Jerusalem the main Jewish city, but it also made it a target to the enemy. So no city in G- Judah needed to be guarded more than Jerusalem. So a larger population would supply the people that were needed for these needed watches. In other words, guards around the city. A city with a small population can't watch as well as a city with a large population. There was a a, a safety in numbers for Jerusalem. And secondly, Jerusalem needed to be a better witness for God. This was the most important reason of all for increasing Jerusalem's population. You see, Jerusalem was the most sacred city of the Jews. This was the city where the Jews' great temple was located, which was the center of their worship. It was the city known as his dwelling place, according to Psalm 76 too. And the Jews gladly made it known to everybody that the Lord loves the gates of Zion or Jerusalem more than all the dwellings of Jacob, Psalm 87 too. Here in chapter 11, Jerusalem is called the holy city two times in verse 1 and verse 18. With all this sacredness, all of this holiness about the city, it definitely didn't give a good witness for Israel's God to have the holy city without a lot of people. Again, think about what the people said. You know, it's his dwelling place. The, love Lord, the Lord loves the gates of Jerusalem, and he loves them more than all of the dwellings of Jacob, which is another name for Israel. Yet, why did so few live there? Why did so, people, so few people want to live in Jerusalem? The people didn't give it a good witness. Having a small population said the opposite of what the Jews were saying about their devotion to Israel and to God. And it dishonored their God. You see, if our boasting about God and our faith is only a bunch of empty words and there's no works behind them, what is it worth? 
I think about how people talk so much about how wonderful God is and how holy He is and how they they live by faith, and yet many churches' attendance is small. Their faith is small. The services are small. The prayer meetings are small. Their giving is small. Conferences and whatever else God has for them is small. The time we give to our wonderful God is small. What kind of witness is that? What does that really say about the God that we boast about? Increasing Jerusalem's population would change the population of all Judah's cities. Nehemiah 11 here is a record of this population change in Judah's cities. And most of chapter 11 here speaks about the population of the city of Jerusalem. Let's begin now with chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. And it says, Now the leaders of the people, notice, dwelt at Jerusalem. The rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to dwell in Jerusalem, the holy city, and nine-tenths were to dwell in other cities. And the people blessed all the men or praised all the men who willingly offered themselves to dwell in Jerusalem. You had three different kinds of people who became part of the city of Jerusalem. Some of the people, you had some people that already lived in the city like the leaders. Secondly, you had some that were drafted to come live in the city. And third, you had volunteers that moved to the city. Some of the leaders were already living in Jerusalem, so they didn't have to be told to move there. They knew that they belonged there in the holy city. Their actions were commendable. They were a good example. These men realized the responsibility. The others had to be persuaded. Matthew Henry points out a good spiritual lesson here. Matthew Henry said, When great men choose the holy city for their habitation, their example brings holiness into reputation and their zeal will provoke many. Most great men in the world today, like rulers of great nations, aren't choosing the holy city, that is heaven, for their eternal resting place. They despise the things of God which only encourages others to despise God and the gospel in heaven. When our government outlaws the reading of the Bible in schools, it encourages a lot of people to look down on the Bible. And many already do. When the government dishonors the things of God, it encourages the people of the land to dishonor God. You see, we need leaders like those in, in Jerusalem here in chapter 11, who by what they did honored the holy city and the things of god and you know that's why when we vote again being electioneer we need to vote for somebody that honors god honors his word or at least protects it and the freedom of religion and we hear candidates talk about god and how they pray and yet they'll support abortion and homosexuality and assisted suicide and and legalization of drugs and and on and on it goes I wonder what God they pray to. Because God does not endorse those things. The Bible doesn't endorse those things. And then it says the rest of the people cast lots. In other words, they were drafted. They, they had to kind of pick straws. And whoever got the short straw had to move to Jerusalem. And then some people volunteered to move to Jerusalem, but not enough. That's why it was necessary to cast lots. To get the people to move to the holy city. 
in order to make sure the, whole, the, the city had enough people, one out of ten people had to move there or had to move from Judah, Judah to Jerusalem. Because people had to be drafted to move to Jerusalem, it shows that many of the Jews, they weren't willing to commit themselves totally to God's honor. And it's sad to say, it seems like things never change. It's so hard to get people to commit themselves to serve God and the things of God. And you think for just this reason alone, that because the temple was there in Jerusalem, and that that was the place where God chose to put his name, that God's chosen people should have all chosen to live there and would have done everything they possibly could to get a place there to live. But on the contrary, it seems they didn't want to live there. If it hadn't been for the spiritual revival that the Jews had before this population increase in Jerusalem, it's possible that many of the draftees would have said, hey, I ain't going. Even though they, they, they cast lots, with like, you know, again, like picking straws. They said, I, I don't care if I got the short straw. I'm not going. Lack of passion and lack of excitement for God's honor and God's work isn't that unusual, even among God's people. Today, you would think because of all that God has done for his people in providing salvation, that his people would be more than willing to serve him when the need calls for it. But just like here in Nehemiah's day, not many of God's people are all that excited to serve him. Many have to be drafted, if you will, to get them to serve in the work of God. And I'd be willing to bet that the people who had to move to Jerusalem complained all the way, all the time that they were there. Why did I have to be one of the unlucky ones? Why did I have to draw the short straw? I was perfectly fine where I was. Why me? Remember, God had promised to bless Abraham and to make him great. But there was one condition. The Lord said to Abram, get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, and go to a land that I will show you. And when you hear that, you're going, that's quite, that's quite a, a request, God. To get out of your homeland, to leave where your, your family is and your father's house and go to a place that you've never been. But in order to be blessed, he had to do what God wanted him to do. This meant leaving his home and friends and, and travel to a new land where God promised to build a great nation from his family. And Abraham obeyed God. He walked away from his home for God's promise of even greater blessings in the future. God may be trying to lead, you know, you to a place. And when I say to a place, I don't necessarily mean geographically, you know, out of town or out of state. But then to a different place in your relationship with God. To get out of your comfort zone for greater service and usefulness for him. Don't let your comfort and your security of your present position make you miss God's plan for you. And then you had the volunteers, verse 2 says, who willingly offered themselves to dwell at Jerusalem. Now, this is a special group of people. These are your dedicated ones. These are the ones that you can depend on so much and maybe even too much. 
Every time you ask for help, they're always there. And you know what? You don't want to overload them. You don't want to burden them. But you know what? They don't feel overloaded or burdened. They're the same ones who step up all the time. These people's dedication to the Lord is so great here in chapter 11 that they willingly volunteered to move to Jerusalem. Now, the reason that that there aren't a lot of dedicated people in the body of Christ to serve the Lord is because it's costly. It's inconvenient and self-sacrificing sometimes to be dedicated. I can remember in my early years as a Christian, Pastor Raul offered me, you know, some really blessed opportunities to serve the Lord. When he made his first video about Vietnam vets, A Quiet Hope, he asked if I would be one of the vets, you know, the, that he interviewed and talk about my experience there. Well, I, I, I was interviewed. I did the audio interview. He said there will be a video portion later on. He wasn't sure when that would take place. A few months later, I got a call and he said, hey, we're going to do the video portion this weekend. Can you come on down? I said, oh, man, I got plans to go camping this weekend. I can't make it, Raul. I didn't want to make the sacrifice. And I regretted it ever since. In 1981, Pastor Raul asked me to be a part of the Old West Camino Calvary Chapel pastoral staff. I said no again. Kathy and I, we were, she was expecting our first child. We just bought a new home. I'd have to quit a good paying job. I'd have to make less as a pastor. And when I took that all in consideration, I said, no way. I regretted that for 16 years. But then again, God opened the door for me. And this time I said, I'm going, God. I'm going because I had spent my first several years as a Christian going to church. And, and, and for me, I, I was being a pew warmer. When I turned 40, I said, I don't want to look back on my life and say, all I did was go to church. I said, Lord, and I made this promise. I said, I'm not going to say, that's the scariest thing to do. I'm not going to say no to you again, unless you're the one who says no. And when I promised not to say no, the, the doors, oh, and that was a real test, a real test. And, and that time I was able to, to I, I said yes to, going on the staff at Calvary Chapel, Golden Springs. And, and I said, I told, I said, I'm not going to ask them what they're going to pay me. How can I talk about trusting in God and believing in God and his strength and his power and his faithfulness if I'm going to say, hey, before I come over, I need to know, what are you going to pay me? And Kathy agreed because she, you know, all those years, again, it was on her heart too that, you know, we, we didn't do it. And... You know, and, I, and, I, and I'd been working at this job for almost 25 years. I'm 50 years old. I'm just starting ministry. If it don't work, where am I going to get a good job like I had? But I said, I, I have to do this. You know, I have to do this. And when they told me what I'd be making, it, was, it wasn't what I was making at my old job. But you know what? It covered my needs. And isn't that what God says? I will supply your needs not your wants. It was, and, and, and in here I am, it's been such a blessed, it would, I mean, I, I can't even begin to explain. 
It just was an awesome, awesome thing. And, and that was just, that, that's just two things. I mean, selling our house when we were out in the mountains out by the grapevine and, and coming down here was a whole other thing that God did. Took a year to sell our house. And it wasn't selling. I, you know, people were, you know, bidding lower than what, what I had down on paper, this is what I need, Lord, in order to go to Calvary Chapel, Golden Springs, and to be serving over there. This is what I need. It's like God ignored what I, was, what I needed. At least that was what I was thinking. Make a long story short, somebody offered a bid, and it was a year, and I'm going, Lord, how, you know, how much longer? And, and, and you know, it, it, the, the scripture, and I'm already jumping ahead of myself, but... Um, where David wanted to buy the threshing hand from the threshing floor from from Onan, he said, "David, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give you everything that you need to to to. Um, I'll give you all the offerings, all the animals to make the offerings. I'm going to just give it to you." And what did David say? He says, "Nope, I don't want to give God anything that costs me nothing." And that day, I was up in my room getting ready for work the next day, and I'm thinking, Lord, how much longer? It's been a year. And, and, and that he brought that verse to my mind, and I thought, that's it. I'm going to go tell Kathy this is what I know she wasn't going to be thrilled about it because the, the bid was 20000 less than we were asking for. But then when we found the house that we're living now, they were asking two sixty five. By the time we offered, made our offer, they, they, they took fifty grand off of the house. 50. I just needed 20. God, just give me what I need because, you know, and, but they took 20, 50 grand off of the house and we've been living there for 30 years. It, God does exceedingly abundantly more than you could ever ask or think. But if we don't step out, if we don't trust him and, and you know, sacrifice and make the inconvenience, which is none of those things, we'll never experience the, the, the greatness of God. So when Nehemiah gave the call for the people to move to the holy city, these people didn't wait to be drafted. They saw that there was a need there. They didn't hem and haw. They volunteered. But again, this volunteering wasn't easy. There's a price for dedication. For them to move to Jerusalem meant a lot of sacrifice would be involved. They'd have to give up the comforts and the security of their home to move to a desolate city where new homes would have to be built and where they'd have to start all over again. And where attacks now by the enemy was more likely to happen than in their old neighborhood. And anyone who willingly volunteers for God's work will find out that the price can be high. And just because we volunteer doesn't mean, oh, well, no, God knows I volunteered, so he's going to make sure everything works out. No. Just because we volunteer doesn't mean that we'll be free from sacrifice or difficulties. But any sacrifice you make in serving God, man, it is always more than worth it. When David, like they wanted to buy Ornan's land to build an altar, Ornan generously offered it as a gift. But David said, nope. I will not take what is yours to give it to God. I will not present burnt offerings that have cost me nothing. David wanted to offer a sacrifice to God. The word offering implies giving something that costs the giver in, times of his, in terms of his self, his time, or his money. And to give sacrificially requires more than a cheap, empty effort or gift. 
God wants us to give voluntarily, but he wants it to mean something. So giving to God what costs you nothing doesn't show true commitment. Lord, I'll do it if I don't have to do this. If I don't have to, and we start laying out all the, all the requirements. Then there's praise for dedication. We see it in verse 2. It says the volunteers were blessed. Those who moved, those who volunteered to move, move to Jerusalem, they were blessed by the others. They were willingly offering themselves to live in Jerusalem. But here's the thing. Praise, is, it, praise isn't always what you get when you show extra dedication. And sometimes that praise isn't really true praise like it is here. Those who didn't go to Jerusalem to live because of those who volunteered would gladly, oh, I'm so, I'm so happy. I'm, oh, I just thank you for going down there because, see, I don't have to. So that praise wasn't really true praise. It was, whew, I'm sure glad I don't have to go. But no servant of God should base their service on man's praise. These people who volunteered to move to Jerusalem did so before they were praised. You see, if it's our calling or our duty, if it's our, re- our reasonable service, just do it. Whether men praise us or not. Because God will always praise you in his time. And then after mentioning those moving to Jerusalem, Nehemiah then tells us about all the different people that made up the population of Jerusalem. And he begins with verse 3. So, but we're not going to go, if the 3 to the end of the chapter, we're not going to read all of those names. But beginning with verse 3 to the end of the chapter, we have another long list of names of those who were willing to live or who were living in Jerusalem. In chapter 3 of Nehemiah, we have a list of those who worked on the walls. In chapter 7, we have a list of those who went back to Judah under the leadership of Zerubbabel. In chapter 10, we have a list of those who put their seal on the covenant with God. In chapter 12, we have a list of priests and Levites. Now, These lists are a good reminder that God is writing down everything that we do. God keeps excellent records. And he has some books where he writes down even our behavior, all of it. Revelation chapter 20, verse 12, John says, I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne, and the books were opened, including the book of life, and the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. You see, on Judgment Day, those books are going to be opened. And those books represent God's judgment and everybody's work is recorded in them, both the good and the evil that we've all done. We're not saved by works. But our works as seen as clear evidence that we are saved and, and, and of a, they're evidence of a person's real relationship with God. James chapter 2, verses 14 and 19. James says, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? In other words, what, what good is your faith? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, Well, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. 
in the book of life are the names of those who have put their trust in Jesus Christ to save them. But, Revelation 20.15 says, If anyone is not found written in the book of life, was cast into the lake of fire. Hell. Then we see the glory of the new Jerusalem, Revelation 21, 22 through 27. John says, but I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light, and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. And the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. But there shall by no means enter into it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. There will be no sin in heaven. God's record-keeping is excellent, and it's an encouragement to the godly, but it's a terrible warning to the wicked, to those who don't know Christ. Here on earth, the godly might not always be recognized by men. They might not have their faithful works put on the front page of the newspaper or the internet or whatever people read for news today. They won't find it in a noticeable way for others to see. But you know what? God is writing it all down. And God's going to reward them in his time. The wicked might think that because men don't know about their evil doings, that they've gotten away with their evil or that God doesn't care or he's ignoring it. Because Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 8.11, because the sentence against an evil work, notice, is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Because God doesn't punish us right away or anybody right away for the evil works, and especially speaking to the wicked talking about the wicked those who, you know, they don't get punished they think well you know god must not care or he's not looking or he's just ignoring me or it's no big deal to him and so they continue to do their evil but god all the while is writing it all down everything that they do every single day and the day's going to come when they're going to stand before god and explain to god their evil the psalmist said in Psalm 75 too, God says, when I choose the proper time, I will judge right, uprightly. When I choose the proper time, God says. It shows us his grace. It shows us that, you know, he's not, he's not excited about wiping out the wicked. It, 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 he doesn't get any pleasure, the scripture says, of wiping out the wicked. He's not willing that any man should perish but that all should come to everlasting life through his son, Jesus Christ. But he is going to judge one day. And all of the things that man has done, you know, apart from him, they're going to be brought before them. Why were you unfaithful to your spouse? Why did you lie and cheat on your tax returns? Why did you reject my son, Jesus Christ? Jesus even said, Every idle word that men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. Matthew 12, 36. And then in this list, we have the Judeans in verse 4. We have some things worth mentioning here about the Judeans. Except for the man in verse 24 of Pethahiah, they were descendants of Perez, 
according to verse 6. The important thing about Perez is that from his descendants, Jesus was born. So you see, this list gives us another example of Christ being present throughout the scripture text. The Judeans were called, in verse 6, valiant men. The word valiant means strength, might, valor. And it's men like this that were needed in Jerusalem to help protect the city. But it's really sad today how the world has the wrong idea about Christian men. That they're weak and that they're simple. But Scripture shows us that many, many rugged men follow Jesus. In fact, that's what it takes to follow Jesus. A rugged, sturdy, strong, valiant kind of man to stand faithfully for God. Especially in the day that we live. We need men who have the backbone and the guts to take a strong stand for the cause of Jesus Christ, for the word of God. Cowardly people don't make good Christians. They don't advance the work of God. Verse 24 says, Pethiah was the king's deputy in all matters concerning the people. One of Judah's descendants was a representative of the Jews who was acting as a mediator between the Persian king and the Jews. He was an official that was carrying out the affairs of the the Jewish community for King Artaxerxes and his court. King Artaxerxes needed somebody at court to help him with the affairs of the city of Judah. Now, in closing, symbolically, this representative, that is Pethiah, speaks of our divine intercessor, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one from the tribe of Judah, who is now in the presence of the Father, and he's interceding with him for us. What a blessing to have an intercessor like Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for this great chapter, Lord. We thank you for the lessons that we learn from it, God. And Lord, help us to be men and women dedicated to you, Father. Dedicated, volunteering, God, in our service to you, Father. When you call us, Lord. Lord, help us not to, Father, to depend upon our comfort zone and our security, Lord. God, you have so much more for us, Lord. But like Abraham, God, we have to get out of our country, leave our family, Lord, leave our home, and go to the place that you show us, God. And Lord, we, we can never give up more than you will give us, God. Lord, you do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think, God. You are an amazing God. And Lord, we could never, ever thank you or praise you enough. But let us show how much we believe in you and love you, God. 
but how we live by faith and trust in you, Lord. Maybe you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior for whatever reason. The bottom line is you need Jesus Christ. If your name is not found written in the Lamb's book of life on that day when you stand before Him, you won't enter into heaven. All you can expect is the weeping and gnashing of teeth in outer darkness, which describes what hell is like. A place of eternal torment. The worship team's going to lead us in a song of worship right now. If God has spoken to your heart and the Holy Spirit has convinced you of your need for salvation, your need for your sins to be forgiven, your need for Jesus Christ, then as we worship, you get up out of your seat, you make your way down the aisles towards the steps up front, I'll meet you there. And when the song's over, we'll pray together a prayer of faith. Mm-hmm.